Dangerous Assignment. Transcribed starring Brian Dunleavy as Steve Mitchell. Danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to prove that trying to break up an information pipeline is no pipe. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, you have an appointment to meet someone at the railroad station in Oslo tomorrow night. Blonde or redhead, Commissioner? Uh... Never mind. With my luck, it'll probably turn out to be a white-haired old gentleman. His name is Thorson, and he won't be expecting you. So what do we want with him? He'll be carrying a set of blueprints, Steve. Blueprints of a top-secret electronic computer unit designed by American technicians for the Navy's guided missile program. Are we sure he'll have the prints with him? Yes, we got that information from the man who stole the prints a week ago, Frank Amory. After what happened to him last night, he's been more than willing to talk. Oh? Oslo police found Amory in an alley, three bullet holes in him. Fortunately for us, he's managed to stay alive. Sounds like the old double cross, huh? Bullets for the payoff. Looks that way, Steve. Get over to the hospital in Oslo and talk with Amory. Get the information you need and grab Thorson. It's vitally important we recover those blueprints, Steve. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Here's a reminder about Thursday's entertainment schedule on most NBC stations. Yes, there's comedy fun with Robert Young, starring in Father Knows Best. Roy Rogers brings you Western adventure and songs from the Double R Bar Ranch in Paradise Valley. Ralph Edwards presents another mad and merry session of Truth or Consequences. Then Eddie Cantor recalls his years in the entertainment world during his show business show. And Judy Canova invites you to Mythical Cactus Junction for 30 minutes of fun. Yes, it's an enjoyable evening of great radio entertainment, so be sure to hear it all. Every Thursday, Thursday night on the NBC Radio Network. get over to a hospital in Oslo, Norway, and have a chat with Frank Amory. He's responsible for lifting a set of top-secret U.S. blueprints, and now a gent named Thorson has them. It's my job to grab Thorson before he can pass them on to someone else. It's late Thursday afternoon when my plane lands, and half an hour later, I'm at the hospital sitting at Amory's. Sure, Mitchell, you ask the questions. I'll tell you everything I know. First of all, Amory, I want a description of Thorson. Well, he's about medium build, 40 years old. Just an ordinary-looking sort of guy. Oh, great. Look, what about this contact Thorson is supposed to meet? Do you know what he looks like? No. All I know is Thorson's to turn over the blueprints to someone at the depot tonight, 7 o'clock. The courier, in turn, hands over the blueprints to another contact in Copenhagen tomorrow night. In Copenhagen? At an amusement park. It's called the Aalborg Garden. And then what? Hamburg, Germany. The last courier picks up the prints there at the Stubelplatze. A regular pipeline operation. Tell me, where did you meet Thorson? Last night. Ten o'clock at a cafe called Hervik's. It's not far from my hotel. You think a waiter would remember you? Owner of the place waited on us. Yeah, he might remember. 
sat in one of the back booths, had coffee. Waited about half an hour, then Torson showed up. That when you turned over the prints? Yeah, envelope. Torson didn't want to pay up until he'd examined the prints. I was supposed to go back to my hotel and wait for him there. But you never got to the hotel. Just to that alley. Three slugs in the back. Didn't see who it was, but not hard to make a guess, huh? Dirty double-crossing rat. Okay, Amy. I guess that'll be all for now. Oh, by the way, the doctors say you'll pull through, all right? After what I've done, is that good or bad? Mind if I don't answer that one? Well, see you around. Good evening, sir. Hello. Yeah. Uh, this way, I have a table. Skip it for now. I want to make a little conversation with the owner of this restaurant. I'm the owner, sir. Carl Hervey gets the service. I'm Steve Mitchell. My credentials. Oh, I see. How may I help you? How's your memory? Excellent. The most valuable asset in my work. Yeah. You had a customer last night, an American. Tall, blonde hair, wore rimless glasses. Uh, yes. Yes, I seem to remember. I waited on him myself. A uh, coffee. Do you remember the man who joined him at the table? Medium build, around 40? Uh, but of course. He comes in quite often. His name's Thornton. Uh, that I did not know. But you could point him out to me. Yes. Yes. However, I cannot say when he will be in again. I'm going to ask a favor of you, Mr. Hervey. Will you come down to the railroad depot and point Thornton out for me? Depot? Me? Now? An hour from now. But how could I leave the cafe? We are at our busiest at 7 o'clock. Really, Mr. Mitchell? I won't keep you long. Maybe 15 minutes. This man Thorson has something in his possession that belongs to my government. It's vitally important we recover it. I see. What do you say, Mr. Hervey? It won't take long. Oh, very well, Mr. Mitchell. I will go with you. It's ten minutes of seven when Herving and I pull up at the railroad station. We take up a position near the main entrance, and Herving starts giving the crowd the once-over. No sign of Thornton. Seven o'clock. Still, he hasn't put in an appearance. A few minutes later, Herving tugs at my sleeve. There. There, Mr. Mitchell. There he is. Thornton. Where? The bench near the magazine stand. Uh, no, no. Directly across. Oh, the man sitting at the end of the bench? Reading the newspaper. Yes. That is your man. Look. He's getting up. Moving away. Headed to the side entrance. You wait here, Herving. I move quickly through the crowd, angle toward the side entrance, and I keep my eyes on Thorson all the time. Then something peculiar happens. Thorson must be equipped with built-in radar. He turns around suddenly and looks straight at me. Then he ducks out fast. I take after him on the double, catch up halfway down the block. Hold it, Buster. Let's go. Let's go, I think. Not a chance. Lord, I kill you. Drop it. Drop it. I kill you. Okay, Buster. Hey. Sorry, Thornton, but you asked for Mr. Mitchell, are you all right? Yeah, yeah, sure. What happened? He's just sleeping off a left hook. I didn't like the way he was waving that knife around. Now, let's have a look in his pocket. Not in his overcoat. What made him run, Mr. Mitchell? He did not know you, did he? Instinct, I guess. Uh, Like the jungle animals, eh? Hatching danger. Some of these guys can spot the law a mile away. Hmm, that's strange. You did not find what you expected? Envelope's not on him. Wait a minute. This newspaper. Ah, he was reading it at the depot? Yeah, the London Times. He probably bought it there from the girl at the magazine newspaper stand. Uh, most attractive young lady. I could not help but notice her. Uh, so? So I want to check something. Keep your eyes on Thorson here. Think you can handle him? A simple matter. I will sit on him. I get back to the newspaper stand at the depot, but the blonde isn't there. I step to the other side of the counter. A cigarette is still burning in an ashtray, and on the wall nearby, dangling on a nail, is a coat hanger. It's rocking back and forth. Looks like the blonde has made a hasty departure. I hurry out into the street, catch sight of her just as she steps into a car. Before I can flag down a cab, she's disappeared into the traffic. 
I go on back to Hervick. He's still sitting on Thorson's chest. A good crowd has gathered by now, including the law. I fill the police lieutenant in on what happened. And what do you propose to do now, Mr. Mason? My best bet is to push on to Copenhagen and grab her when she shows up to turn over the envelope to the next courier. Well, we can notify the authorities in Copenhagen, if you wish. Yeah, do that. Send a description of the girl and have them put a couple of men at the amusement park, the Alborg Gardens, until I get there. It's shortly after midnight when my plane sets down at the Danish capital. Captain Kohlner, the Copenhagen police, is there to meet me and hustles me over toward a waiting squad car. There's been no sign of the girl, Mr. Mitchell. My men were at the park until it closed for the night, about an hour ago. I didn't figure she'd beat me down here. Traveling by plane would be too risky for her. There is a possibility she could be making the journey part of it at least along the Swedish coast by auto or train. In that case, she won't show up here until tomorrow. What time does the amusement park open? Two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, Captain. In the meantime, I guess there's nothing much else we can do but wait. I check in at a hotel not far from the amusement park, and the next day, Captain Kohler picks me up shortly after one in the afternoon. We hustle over to the Alborg Gardens, take up a position not far from the entrance, and settle down to wait. Turns out to be a long wait all afternoon. Finally, just after nightfall, the girl shows up. Kohler and I tag her inside the grounds. Look, Captain, we'd better split up. I don't want to get too close. She's apt to recognize me, but she doesn't know you. Well, why not pick her up right now? I'm afraid of it. After what happened at the railroad station in Oslo, she might be playing it safe. No, you mean she might not have the envelope with her? Yeah. Sort of just testing the ground. You go on up ahead. Stay close to her. I won't be far behind. Right. Colner moves up within a few feet of the girl, and I follow at a safe distance. She just goes on strolling casually through the ground, paying no particular attention to anything or anyone. Ten minutes later, she pulls up at the skating rink, sits down at a bench, and lights a cigarette. After a few drags, she flips it away, gets up, and starts in my direction. I have to duck out of the way fast. I slip into a narrow, dark passageway between two buildings, and that's when it happens. Something cracks me hard over my ear, and I sprawl headfirst into the weeds. Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. If you're one of the millions of Americans who daily drive their cars on our streets and highways, this message is for you. Safety is your job. And safe driving means driving within the limits set not only by the speed laws, but also by road conditions. In good weather when streets and highways are dry, it takes 12 car lengths to stop when you're driving 50 miles an hour. But when the road is wet and slippery, it takes a much greater distance to bring your car to a stop. So keep alert when you drive... Take your tip from the professional truck driver and remember that driving is a full-time job. Drive slowly enough to avoid accidents before they can happen. At 50 miles per hour, you're rushing towards an accident at 76 feet per second. So keep alert when you drive. Watch for accidents threatening on the road ahead. And then, slow down in time to avoid them. Slow down for safety's sake. And remember, only you can prevent accidents and the life you save may be your own. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. (laughs) 
Mitchell. Mitchell. Eh? Oh, Captain Corner. Are you all right? Yeah, just a conk on the noggin. Did you see who eat you? No. He was between these two buildings in the dark. Looks like the girl got a little helper in the deal. Hey, what happened to her? I'd be watching her. She's over by the gate. Wait, she's just leaving through the gate. Come on. We get to the gate just in time to see the girl jump into a taxi. Colner jots down the number of the cab and we tail it in a squad car. The girl gets off at a hotel. At the desk, we learn her name is Neela Bastrick. I figure I can't afford to wait any longer to close in, so we go on up to her room. Remember me? Get out of here. We wish to question you. Who are you? I have never seen you before. Don't give me that. You saw me chasing a guy named Thorson at the railroad station in Oslo. That's why you took off from the newspaper stand in such a hurry. I do not know what you are talking about. Oh, then let me refresh your memory. Thorson passed an envelope on to you before I caught up with him. An envelope containing some stolen secret blueprints. Let's have it. I tell you, I do not know. Warn you, Miss Westrick. It will go harder with you if you do not cooperate. I have no such envelope. And I know of no such envelope. We'll search the room, Captain. Can we get a police matron to search Miss Bostrick? It won't. Well, go ahead, gentlemen. Go ahead, search. You know, she's pretty sure of herself, Captain Colner. That could mean she's already passed it on. Yes, but I'm certain she did not contact anyone at the amusement park. Wait a minute. The cab driver who picked her up and brought her here to the hotel. Of course. What cab driver? I do not know any cab driver. Oh, well, we'll soon find out. Captain, you got the number of the cab, haven't you? Yes, sir, yes. I wrote it down. We can find his address from the cab company. Come on. We'll put Miss Bastrick on ice at headquarters and then pay that cabbie a little visit. This should be the cab driver's room at the end of the hall, Mitchell. Okay. The cab company said he'd gone off duty half an hour ago. He should be here. Easy now. He could decide to play her off. like he flew the coop in one big hurry. Well, well, this is just great. Uh, Mitchell, see here on the dresser, the photo of the driver standing beside the cab. Yeah, I'll take it along. It may come in handy in Hamburg. Hamburg? Yeah. According to Amory in Oslo, that's the next pickup point, a square in Hamburg called Stubelplatz. So if you are there at the right time, you may intercept it. Trouble is, that's what I've been trying to do all along the line and missed. I figured it was going to be a breeze when I got Hervig, the restaurant owner, to identify Thorson, but... Before I could grab Thorson, he'd passed it to the girl. Then she passed it to the cab driver, and now you suspect he's on his way to Hamburg to deliver it to the next runner. Yeah, so now I get another chance, my final one. But one thing's sure, Hamburg's the last stop. If I don't intercept it there, it's gone for good. On checking the cab driver's photo at headquarters, we learn he's wanted for questioning in connection with a political killing, so... Captain Colner decides to accompany me, which is good news to me, because right now I need all the help I can get. It's after midnight when we arrive in Hamburg. We head for the Stubel Plots, a square with benches and a fountain in the middle. At one end of the square is a large cathedral with a clock and a bell tower. 2 a.m. You think the driver could have beaten us here, Mitchell? I don't see how. We moved fast when we found out he'd cleared out of his room in Copenhagen. And the military plane got us here to Hamburg faster than a civilian airliner. That's right. We should be in time, all right. And this bench is partially hidden by the trees. From here, we can see the whole square. So 
Looks like we might as well get comfortable. I can think of better ways to spend time than sitting all night on a park bench. Yeah, yeah that sun feels good. The square is sure empty, except for the pigeons. Uh, Mitchell, you suppose you could be mistaken about the transfer being made here? If I am, Captain, then I'm really cooked because this is my last lead. But we have no idea when this transfer's to be made. We could sit here forever. Yeah, I know. I'm beginning to get that nasty feeling in the pit of my stomach that something's gone wrong. Of course, if the cab driver does not realize you're on his trail, there'll be no reason for him to change the transfer point. Perhaps they've only been waiting for morning, in which case it could happen any time now. Yeah, still, these boys I'm bucking in this deal are plenty cagey. Could be the cab driver is on guard and will want to size up the area pretty thoroughly before he sticks his neck out. But this bench is fairly well concealed by trees and bushes. I wonder. Huh. What is it? Captain, suppose you were the cab driver. Where would you go if you wanted to get a good look at the whole square? Right, I... Hey, the bell tower of the cathedral. Sure, a bird's eye view, just a hunch, but I'm going to follow it up. Captain Colin stays put while I ease out of the square. I circle the block, come up behind the cathedral, and slip in a side door. And real quick, I find out my hunch was right. I duck and the slug whistles over my head. It's dark and shadowy inside, but I've spotted the flash. I keep low and start circling quietly. Pretty soon I spot the cab driver over against the wall near the narrow stairway which leads to the bell tower. He's looking for me, but in the wrong direction. I come in at him from the side, fast. Wait. Let's go. I'll take the gun. Now, just stay put a minute while I see which pocket you've got that envelope in. Yeah, here we are. Well, how did you find me? Well, it's a long story, but let's just say it had a happy ending for me. Hey. Thanks, Jim Nixon. What? Drop your gun. Perfect. I said drop it. That's better. Well, well. So the restaurant owner who was so willing to help by identifying Thorson at the Oslo Depot turns out to be the big boy in the deal. Exactly. You and Thorson were in it together, but you decided to give him the double cross just like he gave Amory, huh? Not right. Thorson and I were not working together. I see. Well, it makes more sense that way. You know, that probably means you shot Amory. Yes. Sure. You forget on getting the envelope from him, but he'd already passed it to Thorson, who didn't even know Amory had been shot. That explains why they didn't change the location of their transfer points. Unfortunately, Thorson had left the scene before I could catch up to him. So when I came in your restaurant with a lead on where he might be, you decided to play along with me, hoping I'd leave you the envelope. And now you have. You'll be happy to know I can sell it for quite a lot of money. Hand it over, Mitchell. I know as soon as I do, I'm a dead duck. I extend the envelope to him and he reaches for it. Suddenly I flip it in his face. He banks and his shot goes wild. <laughs> I hack the gun out of his hand and dive at him, but he gives me a knife in the breadbasket. That jackknife me. He whirls and pounds up the stairway toward the bell tower. I follow. The stairs wind around and around the inside of the tower. Halfway up, I stop and listen. Yeah, he's still climbing. I keep going, getting nearer to the top. I can see the steps end at the narrow catwalk, which runs around the big bell at the top, just under the catwalk. I stop again to listen. No sound. Somewhere up on that catwalk, he's waiting for me. I ease up the last few steps slowly. Just as I get my head above the catwalk, I spot his foot coming at me. I duck and grab his ankle and twist. I throws him off balance. He drives across the end of the catwalk, but he doesn't make it. Mitchell, is that you? Yeah, Captain. Oh. And the envelope? Right here, lying beside what's left of Hervig. Hmm. 
So the pipeline is broken, eh? Yeah. Or you might say it just fell apart. Star Brian Donlevy will return in a moment. If musical entertainment is high on your list of enjoyable radio programming, then NBC's Monday Night of Music was designed especially for you. When you set your radio dial to most NBC stations on Monday evening, you'll hear such stellar programs as the Railroad Hour, the Voice of Firestone, the Telephone Hour, and the Dinah Shore Show. The Railroad Hour presents Gordon McRae and guest stars in memorable operettas. Howard Barlow conducts the orchestra and chorus on the Voice of Firestone, and the program always features the finest musical artists. The Telephone Hour brings you the music of Donald Voorhees and the Bell Symphonic Orchestra, as well as famous guests from the realm of music. Also on Monday evening, you'll hear the new Dinah Shore show. Dinah now brings her singing talent to the NBC radio microphone twice each week, every Monday and Friday. Remember to join us for the new Dinah Shore show. Make it a date to be one of the millions of people who each Monday evening enjoy NBC's musical program schedule. Next week, Havana. A gay party and a cheerful little murder. And that will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. <laughs> Included in tonight's cast were Dan Riss, Jan Arvan, Paul Fries, Tom Holland, and Gigi Pearson. This is John Storm speaking. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlivy as Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Life and Adrian John Doe and is directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at the same time when Brian Donlivy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Fridays, listen to Dinah Shore.